Good morning. I also want to just uh, welcome you. Thank you for joining us, whether you're online or here in this room. As we continue our series called His Story, This is My Story. Uh, We've been doing it all year, but this morning the text lends itself very well to kind of staying in contact with this theme. Our text this morning that will be read next week, uh, like like, uh, Linda and Doug read the text from last week this morning, is Romans 8, 38, and 39. A text we know well. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's a ton in that from Paul. We're going to look at that here in just a second. But first, let's think about the my story side of his story is my story. Sometimes that word gets used a lot, and people aren't really quite comfortable with what a story means. But for this morning, I want to just kind of review a couple of things that we think of when we think of story or our life story. It's not simply a life event, because a life event is kind of quick. It happens and it's over, right? But a life story is actually full of life events. And the two most prominent life events are our birth and our death. And if you think about it as a book, if this book was the book of my life or the book of your life, the front cover is our birth and the back cover is our death and everything in between the covers is our story. Well, the faces on the screen are faces of stories. You can see in these people's expressions and in the lines on their faces that some of them have had a long story. Some of them have had a long journey that we used last year talking about joining the journey. And a journey is similar to a story as well, that it's different from an A to B trip. You know, most of us this morning who are here in this room got in our cars and came to the building, and it wasn't a journey. It was just a trip. Going to the grocery store is just a trip. Journeys have the unexpected. Journeys have things that happen that consist of things like happiness and celebration and sadness and loss and ultimately death. And when we join the journey, this is an interesting concept that I want you to hang on to as we go through the text this morning. As we join the journey, we really didn't have a choice, right? I mean, our parents made a decision, but really, when we joined this journey and we got the front cover of our storybook, that was all God. He stitched us together. He chose us. So let's look at his story as a part of our story from Paul. We have to back up a little bit to understand Romans 8, 38, and 39. Paul's got a whole bunch that he puts in just in front of that. We're going to go all the way back to verse 18, actually. And I've got some of it up here so that I can keep up because we've got a lot of text. But this is from the New English Translation. And what I want us to look at here are all the echoes from the Old Testament, all of Paul's theology that's in his head as he's explaining everything that leads to the two verses we started with. For I consider that our present sufferings cannot even be compared to the coming glory that will be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits for the revelation of the sons of God. 
an Old Testament term about beings that were already in existence before God created humans. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of God who subjected it. See, God decided to make humans, nobody else. And when he decided to make them, he knew there was an inherent risk. In hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage of decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. Notice God's children compared to sons of God. God's children are human. God's children are all of those who will be free to live in new creation the way God intended. And when that happens, creation itself will also be free because it's under uh, some duress because of humanity which we're going to see him go on to say here. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers together until now. Not only this, but we ourselves also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption. Our adoption is becoming the children of God, right? The redemption of our bodies, ah, new creation. Where, what we're going to be like when everything is redeemed. In, for in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. Because who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with endurance. If we hope for what we do not see. So there's things obviously that Paul has in his mind that we do not see. He goes on to say in the same way. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how we should pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. There's a supernatural realm that's going on for us when we don't even know what to say in prayer. God's helping us. His Spirit is helping us actually pray. And then look at what it says next. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes on behalf of the saints according to God's will. Then he continues, and we know that all things work together for good for those who love God. Now we know that verse very well, right? But watch how he connects it. All this works together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose, because those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, among the children of God. So all things work together for good for those who love God. Why? Because we're being conformed to the image of his son. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Which again, leads us to think about new creation. What? Then shall we say about all these things? Interesting question from Paul, right? He's just unloaded all these connections to Hebrew Scripture and the Old Testament. And then he says, what shall, we, what shall we say about all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? The reason I bolded that is, why would he ask a question if it's not a valid question? Who could be against us? Indeed, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, along with Jesus, 
Freely give us all thanks. And then he asks another question. Who will bring any charge against God's elect? Why does he keep asking about who, who would charge God's people? Who would be against God's people? It is God who justifies. Who is the one who will condemn? And I had in my notes, remember the story of Job with the accuser and the one who roamed around on the earth and came back to God and did just that, accuses and condemns or brings charges against. But then Paul goes on. Christ is the one who died, and more than that, he was raised. Who is at the right hand of God and who also, interesting little word there, also is interceding for us. So the Holy Spirit's interceding for us. We've seen that twice in this text, this passage, and now we see Jesus is interceding for us as well. And then he asks again, who will separate us from the love of Christ? And we get the normal answers we usually tell people, right? Immediately following. Will trouble or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, those things we think of when we're on our life's journey that crop up that that we didn't expect. But it goes deeper, As it is written from Psalm 44, verse 22, for your sake we encountered death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. How does that fit? It fits because Israel did not stay allegiant to Yahweh, and Yahweh gave them up to the other nations. And when they went into the other nations and they were scattered, They were underneath the religions and the gods and everything else that was going on in the world, in the Old Testament worldview, and they had no future except death. When they arrived at the back cover of their book, that would be it, because they had not stayed allegiant to God. They'd not been his people. And then we get closer to our text, but I want to go back and look at one thing. We've said a lot this year about Psalm 110.1, and it's an important text. And I want to put it into relation with Christ is the one who died. And Paul says, and more than that, he was raised, who is at the right hand of God and who is also interceding for us. So the the question is, if, if Yahweh says to Jesus, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet, who are the enemies of Christ? John 3, 16 and 17 would make us instantly want to say, well, well, not human beings, right? Because God so loved the world that he sent his son to die for the whole world. So surely it can't be humans are the enemies. But then Paul says in Romans 5, 10, that while we were yet enemies of God, Jesus died for us. I think the way these verses go together is that we weren't created to be enemies of God. We were created with a purpose, and unfortunately we gave that up in the garden. But because Jesus came and died for us while we were enemies, he opened the way for us to no longer be enemies, for all humans to become children of God. And this is important. This is something that I think is in Paul's mind that we don't always see in that text. That way that is opened, he has just gone through all this description of creation that we've looked at, and he said, the creation groans, 
because it's under this duress. Well, the cross is not for the creation. The birds and the animals and the sea and the fish and the trees, they haven't done anything wrong. They haven't sinned. They've done exactly what God created them to do. Humans are the ones that the cross is for, and while we're looking at things that we don't normally see, the cross is also not for the beings who existed before us. It does not give them an option to go into eternal life. So the cross is for humans only. Jesus came and became a human just for humanity. Because part of the creation doesn't need to be redeemed. It just needs to stop suffering. And the beings who made poor decisions and became rebellious and even coerced us to do what we've done, it's not applicable for them. So now let's look at our two verses. With all of that that Paul lays out in all these preceding verses, he says, no, in all these things we have complete victory through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor heavenly rulers, nor things that are present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So his story is our story. We want to be like Jesus, right? Of course we want to be like Jesus. There's no reason we wouldn't want to be like Jesus. But I want to take a second and have us think about something. In 1999, a movie came out called The Sixth Sense. And in this movie, Bruce Willis plays a child psychologist named Malcolm Crow. And during the course of the movie, really he only has one client, a little boy played by Haley Joel Osment, whose name is Cole Sear. And over the course of the movie, um, hopefully you've seen it since it's been 21 years because I'm getting ready to ruin it. Um, over the course of the movie, Joel, we find out, gets teased at school. He gets called names. People call him freak because he knows a bunch of stuff that they don't understand really how he knows. But the adults in the movie kind of say, hmm, I don't know. you kind of pick up on the idea that he knows some things that they're not really sure how he could know that, especially at his age. And then as the movie progresses, unfortunately, both Malcolm and uh, Cole's mom think that Cole's lying to them. And they escalate everything and say, yeah, he probably has some, some problems. Um, well, Malcolm befriends Cole and gains his trust. And eventually, Cole tells Malcolm that he sees dead people. And Malcolm says, uh, can you explain that a little more? And he says, I see dead people. And he says, well, what are they doing? He says, well, that's just it. They don't realize they're dead. They're walking around just like everybody else, and they only see what they want to see. And then he tells his mom this, and of course, she's a little concerned, but it's, it's, a, it's a great endearing movie that from Malcolm and from Cole's mom, they both believe him. They don't understand it, but they both believe him. Well, skipping ahead, trying to make this short, um, Malcolm ends up helping Cole, 
and realizes that the reason these dead beings are coming to see him is that they need him for, for something. They need help from him. And he learns how to help them. He actually teaches them how Cole can help them so that they can have peace and they can have closure on whatever it is that they're coming to him for assistance. And it works. And the little boy gets healthier and he gets to feeling a lot better. And, um, you know, you kind of have this idea of, boy, that was a, that was a strange, dark story, but it was, it was nice. And then in the last ten minutes of the movie... There's a huge twist because Malcolm, the psychologist, has been dead the entire movie and he didn't know it. And he goes back through the movie and you see scenes and you're like, he saw what he wanted to see. He, and, and you start seeing what he didn't see during the movie. And then, quite frankly, you can't watch the movie again and not see this. Well, I'm proposing this morning Paul's doing the same thing. Paul's words that he uses, depending on your translation. Why did the powers, death, angels, which is hard for us to understand, demons, and other enemies all converge on Jesus and kill him? Because they attempted to do the exact same thing to us in the garden. If humans could have been eliminated from the mix the heavenlies would have returned to the way things were prior to God creating humans. They were out to get us. However, God does not give up on humanity, and the rebellious angelic beings do not give up on attempting to bring about our demise. And so history continues to run forward ultimately till coming to the time that we all know of the days in the life of Jesus. And they struck while Jesus was stuck in the story or our story as a human named Jesus. Think about that. Maybe we haven't thought before that God, all-powerful, able to do whatever he wants to do, creator of everything, submits himself to a human story. He submits himself to having a front cover, birth, and a back cover, death. I don't know that I'd ever seen it that way before. We must let the Bible be what it is and be open to the notion that what it says about the unseen realm is actually real. Because if we don't, we don't really understand the whole story. Paul is writing all of this that we've looked at in this passage with knowledge of the supernatural. And as Doug and Linda read this morning, and as Leslie Chapman taught us last week, if we go back to Philippians 2, we believe this. It's right there. It says, and I added Jesus to the side because it doesn't have the verse pre previous, Jesus, who being the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. That, that's the incarnation. This is the first Sunday of Advent where the whole world is thinking about how Jesus became human, how God became human. And then look at how that text finishes. And being found in appearance as a man, or as a human, whichever word you want to use, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That, that phrase, by becoming obedient to death, is just like the Sixth Sense movie 
Jesus had a back cover to his story when he became human, when he emptied himself and became in our story. God is all about life. God is not about death. And yet God all of a sudden is obedient to death, the very anti-thing of God. So let's ask this question again. We want to be like Jesus? Absolutely we want to be like Jesus. But here's the twist, just like in the movie. Jesus wanted to be like us so that he could save us. Just like finding out that Malcolm was dead and you can't unsee it, we can never unsee this now. We can never read the story of Scripture in the New Testament the same way and not understand that his story is my story, but my story, he wanted to make his story in order to free me and you to go beyond the journey that was going to end. So Jesus becomes our story, and in doing so, we go back to Scripture and we look at different places where Paul confirms this. We know some of these well. Ephesians six twelve: for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Or in Colossians, when you were dead in your sins and in, your, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. And he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. He didn't, he didn't nail the Old Testament story to the cross. He nailed our condemnation to the cross. And then that text finishes with this, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Here, here's another way I like to say this. God changed the world through Jesus. God is changing the world today through Jesus and us, and God will change the world through Jesus when Jesus returns. Maybe some of you know these, this quote by Toby Mack. I, I like it. Um, I had some people in the building yesterday while I was practicing who saw it on the screen and said, oh, I love that quote. You will never look into the eyes of someone God does not love. Fantastic statement. I wanted to expand it a little bit based on what we're thinking about this morning. We will never look into the eyes of someone Jesus did not love enough to empty himself of equality with God and to die for on the cross. And then Andy Stanley had something that came across my email a couple weeks ago. And this is a partial quote. I thought this was important for how challenging maybe some of this has been. He says, be a student, not a critic. Critics look for reasons not to learn from what they don't understand. Students, on the other hand, are always learning. They face their ignorance. They are curious. Be curious. Ask yourself, why did I react the way I did when confronted with new insight and information? Why did I bristle when questioned? Why won't I read that book or that article? See, the more we know about the original context of the Bible, the more we can understand the Bible, the more we actually know the story. Often we make assumptions and inferences that were not present in the original context. The ancients... The ancient Israelites 
the characters that are in our Bibles, they're not unintelligent people. We must never judge the ancient world by our modern standards, even when our modern, our modern standards may, in fact, be better. And here's why. Ever since the garden, there has been a battle going on over humanity in the realm that we cannot see. Jesus became human to provide all humans a path to victory at the end of this life's journey so that the back cover of our storybook won't be there. Jesus, God himself, imprisoned himself. Okay? Think about that. That's a tough word. But I realize he could have called 10,000 angels. I realize that he didn't he didn't empty himself of all divinity, just like Doug said on the, on, the, on the video. I understand that. But he yet yielded to it. And he basically was in our story from birth to death. And he rewrote the ending. He rewrote the ending for us, freeing us to join his story as our story. Resurrection. Because, as Paul told us, Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, he's the only one who's resurrected so far. But that's what we have in store for us. So here's kind of the summary this morning I want us to think about as we go back out to a new week. We've been rescued from our story by Christ. There's no back cover. If you want to reference another movie, it's the never-ending story now. From the minute we change our allegiance from who we were underneath that we were imprisoned to, to Jesus. And anybody, any human being can do it. And what he wants us to do is he wants us to leave here and he wants us to go out and tell people that good news, that it's available for everybody. They don't have to have a back cover to their storybook. Their life doesn't have to end like it's going to for the beings who were rebellious. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's how Paul ends verse 39. Why? Because nothing separated Jesus from God. And we're in Jesus. And if he's not separated from God, we can't be either. The powers and the principalities and the devil and those who had rebelled and everything we don't understand that's going on in what we can't see was unable to separate Jesus from God. And so therefore, they're unable to separate us from God because of Jesus. Jesus is our victory. Our names are written in the book of life. I don't know how we could contemplate the, week, the, the, the month of Advent thinking about Jesus becoming human in any better way than to see what it actually produced. If you would, let's stand and sing together this idea or this concept of blessed assurance.